Daniel chapter 11 is the longest chapter in Daniel. It contains the most extensive prophecy in the book of Daniel. And there is no way we're going to go into the details of that tonight. But what we are going to do, I think, is something very profitable. Out of Daniel chapter 11, I found for myself 12 imperatives that Christians need to continually remind ourselves of in facing the challenges we're going to face as the people face the challenges they faced in Daniel chapter 11. Remember, Daniel chapter 11 is dealing with world history and the, and the rise and fall of world powers, but it also concentrates on the prototype of the Antichrist, a Syrian king by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes, who, in a sense, is the forerunner of the Antichrist who is coming. And uh, Daniel 11 goes into a lot of detail about that. And we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight, but I want to deal with the principles. And, and one of the things that we need to be reminded of is even before the Antichrist comes to earth, and I don't believe that the church is going to be here when the Antichrist comes uh, to power. Uh, that, that is debatable, obviously, but my personal conviction. Uh, but what I, I do believe is this, the Bible clearly teaches that even before the Antichrist literally comes, that the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work. In fact, we talked about that last week. 1 John 4, 3 says, The spirit of the Antichrist that you heard is coming is now already in the world. 1 John 4, 3. And then Paul, in the context of talking about the Antichrist, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, says in verse 7, to the Thessalonians, that the hidden or invisible power of lawlessness is already at work. So the idea is that as Christians, even before the Antichrist comes, that you and I are going to have to deal with the powers of lawlessness, with the spirit of the Antichrist. And how do we, how do we rise to the challenge of living in these last days as followers of Jesus Christ? Well, I, I think Daniel chapter 11 gives us, again, some great imperatives to remind ourselves of. The first one, in verse 1, and remember, this is a great illustration, Daniel 11, 1, that uh, even though the Bible is inspired by God and every word uh, carries God's authority, the chapter divisions and verse divisions in the Bible are not authoritative. They, they were definitely put there by man to try to give man like some kind of order, which nothing wrong with that. The reason I'm pointing that out is, you recall from last week, Daniel's having this conversation with an angelic being at the end of chapter 10. Well, that just continues into Daniel chapter 11. It, you, really, it, it's almost harmful to, to, to stop at Daniel chapter 10 at the end and not keep flowing into Daniel chapter 11 because the angel continues to talk to Daniel and says this in Daniel 11 verse 1. In the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood, the angel, to strengthen him and to provide protection for him. Why? Because it was through this man that the order to release the Jews, release them from captivity, send them back to Jerusalem, give them the authority and the encouragement and the resources to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple, that came through this king. And so the angel is saying, God wanted me to strengthen this man and protect him so that he could do what, what God was calling him to do to aid 
God's people, the Jews. The point I want to make is this. Whether our strength or protection comes from an angel, if that's what God wants or whatever, one thing you and I need to be reminded of, and we must remember this, God is our strength and protection. God is our strength and protection. And we're going to need extra strength in the days in which we live. It's going to take very strong Christians, very strong believers to live in the climate that this world is is at at this point. And it's only going to, I believe, even get more challenging. If you remember from last week, a verse that I almost asked you guys, encouraged you guys to memorize or to write down on a three by five card and remind yourself of every morning when you wake up was Daniel ten nineteen. The the first part, or excuse me, the, the middle part of that where uh, the angel said, don't be afraid, Daniel ten nineteen. you who are valued, peace be to you, be strong, be really strong. And we talked about how we need to not just be strong, we need to be really strong. But you and I can't, in a sense, cook that strength up from within us. When the Bible talks about being strengthened, it, it means to allow God to strengthen us, to to. Be strengthened through Him and through walking with Him. As Paul said, be strong in the Lord, Ephesians 6, and in the power of His might. Not mine, not yours, but in His. And we as Christians need to learn to walk in the strength of God and know that He is our strength and our protection. Now again, in this specific instance, God was strengthening uh, Darius and protecting him through an angel. I don't care how God, what means, what methods God uses. Ultimately, though, you and I need to look to God to be our strength and our protection. He's our security. He's our stability. We don't look to anyone or anything else. Again, God may choose different ways of bringing that about in our life, but ultimately, God is our strength and our protection. And we see that here in Daniel 11. Secondly, Again, we don't have time to go down through it, and I don't really think it's necessary. But from verse 2 of Daniel chapter 11 through verse 35, we have probably one of the most detailed prophetic accounts of world history anywhere in the Bible. And in fact, this, pas- this singular passage in Daniel, from Daniel 11 to verse 35, these events in history have already taken place. And the reason why the book of Daniel is attacked by liberal scholars so much is because of the accuracy of these verses. In other words, the the, the only way that that they can come up with to, to not believe that this is truly God speaking and he would be the one that would obviously know what's going to happen in the future in such a detailed way, that they tried to make the book of Daniel a much later written book. In other words, basically what they say is, Daniel didn't really write this book. This was written by somebody later on in history after the fact. Because there's no way that anybody could have gotten these facts in history so detailed correctly like they are found in Daniel 11 too. The one thing that liberals won't even debate is how accurate Daniel 11 2 through 35 are. They are absolutely accurate. I mean, Dan, you can read it for yourself, but one of the interesting things is some of the nations that we're hearing about now in the news, Egypt, Syria, Libya, 
are all contained in Daniel 11, 2 through 35. When you read and study Daniel 11, 2 through 35, the king of the north is the kingdom of Syria. The king of the south is the kingdom of Egypt and Ptolemy and all of that. And, and the interesting thing is just to give you one example of how detailed it is. Many people, I think just because they might not be students of history, think that Cleopatra uh, was Egyptian. Cleopatra was not Egyptian. In fact, that's one of the things that Daniel 11 points out. Now, they don't mention, Daniel doesn't mention Cleopatra by name, but she is contained in Daniel chapter 11. Her father, one of the late Syrian kings in history, uh, his idea to, to try to appease the, the Egyptians was to offer his daughter to the Egyptian king. And, and his thinking was, once my daughter marries the Egyptian king, she'll side with me. And, and we'll have an advantage over Egypt. The problem was, if you know your history, and you know what the Bible says, that Cleopatra did not side with her Egyptian, or with her father, the Syrian king, she always sided with her Egyptian husband. And that didn't give her father any advantage at all over the Egyptians. So it's verses like this, it's passages like this, that just remind us to me of the second principle. And that is the word of God is accurate and reliable. We've got to remember that. Again, we're not going to take time to go down through verse all verse 2 through verse 35. It's all history that's already been lived out. But the amazing thing that you will find and the amazing thing that everybody finds if you read and study verses 2 through 35 is just how accurate and reliable God was in telling people ahead of time Here's exactly what's going to happen. Here's what king's going to be in power from this kingdom. Here's the war that they're going to fight. In fact, many of you are familiar. A couple years ago, they came out with this great uh, movie called 300 uh, about the stand that that, uh, they took. That's also contained in Daniel chapter 11. I mean, it's just amazing the accuracy and reliability of the word of God. And as you read and study something like Daniel chapter 11, hopefully it will encourage you, man, God had, God, history is his story. And he knows exactly what's going to happen before it happens. And the future is in his hands. And all the promises he makes are absolutely trustworthy and reliable. And hopefully this will encourage you to trust God more and to trust in his word more because it is absolutely accurate down to the finest detail. A third principle, though, is this. If you go over to verse 21, one of, the, one of the things that Daniel is prophesying about here that happened in history was this Antiochus Epiphanes, this despicable person despised by the Jews, found in verse 21 of chapter 11. Again, he was one of the last kings of Syria when Syria was a major player on the world stage. I want you to notice something, though. It says this royal honor was not rightfully conferred on him. But notice what it says. He will come on the scene in a time of prosperity. Keep that in mind. That word or that phrase in the Hebrew language means this. A false sense of security when people were at ease. And notice down in verse 24, they use the very same phrase. In a time of prosperity. 
for the most productive areas of the province, he will come and accomplish what neither his fathers nor his nor their fathers accomplished. Again, that phrase also talks about complacency, a lack of concern. And so what does that speak to us about this principle? That we need to always remember to, to, to stay spiritually alert and vigilant at all times as believers. See, part of how Antiochus was able to have the influence and inroads he did was he came at a time of prosperity. And in those times of prosperity, just like we have to be careful of, if we're honest, many times when things are going really good in our life, we tend to slack off spiritually. When we're going through adversity and crisis, as as many times as human beings, when we wake up and all of a sudden get serious about God, about His Word, about church and all that stuff, we, we just naturally are bent that way. And and one of the worst, even though we love times of prosperity, we have to admit that especially if those times of prosperity are prolonged and we get a little comfortable, it can be some of the worst times for us spiritually because we're not staying alert and vigilant. And one of the things that we have to realize is that I think in America, because we have been so prosperous for so long, we even as the church, meaning the church in general, have fallen asleep at the wheel. And, and evil and godlessness and a lack of morality and the spirit of the Antichrist and the hidden power of lawlessness has made a lot of inroads because many Christians have become very complacent and at ease and comfortable and a false sense of security, if you will. And that's what we have to be careful of. Whether we're going through prosperity or adversity, One of the messages of the Bible, one of the things Jesus pointed out, especially in the context of dealing with the last days, was was phrases like, watch out, be alert, be vigilant, be on guard. He was always telling his followers, never let your guard down. It's like I've told Christians for years, hey, you and I can take a vacation. It's important that we take time off, if you will, and learn to relax and rest a little bit. But none of us as Christians should ever take a spiritual vacation. Uh, The enemy doesn't take a, a vacation. Satan doesn't take a vacation. Satan doesn't take time off. Satan doesn't, you know, the world system that opposes God, our flesh doesn't take time off. So when we take time off spiritually, we are going to automatically fall behind. And we've got to remember to stay alert and vigilant at all times. Also, Notice the methods. One of the other imperatives is we've got to always remember the methods that our spiritual enemies will use. And notice even in this time of prosperity what Antiochus' methods were. At the end of verse 21, it says he will seize the kingdom through what? Deceit. Deceit. Look at verse 23. After entering into an alliance with him, he will behave treacherously treacherously notice over in verse 32 then with smooth words literally in the hebrew slippery words he will defile those who have rejected the covenant those are the methods of our spiritual enemy he never will come at us usually with any kind of frontal assault as the bible talks about the methods of satan and subtle and crafty we talked about this sunday in the message beware of having our crown taken through craftiness. 
that we must always remember that part of the reason we need to stay alert and vigilant spiritually is because the methods that our spiritual enemies use. They never are going to come in the front door. They're always going to come in a side or back door. They're going to come from a place we do not expect them to come, which is why we need to remain vigilant and alert. And know this is how they operate. This is what Satan did all the way back Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3. When you see how he dealt with Adam and Eve, he's not changed his methods throughout history. He does the same thing today. He, he will mix a little bit of false and, and untruth in with other truth and hide it in there and then get people to swallow it and it becomes very damaging and damning to their spiritual and destructive to their spiritual life. I mean, I'll give you an example. Lisa and I were out for a little bit today. We were riding around and saw the billboard. What did it say? Judgment is judgment day is coming or something. The May 21st when the world comes to an end. And then in the corner it said, the Bible, the, the Bible guarantees it. And I'm like, oh my golly. I, I almost backed up and wanted to write down the website because on May 22nd, <laughs> thank you. Because I, I think as Christians, I think we need to hold these people to the fire. They, they cause all of us to be lumped into the same group and look foolish because they clearly don't know what the Bible says or they wouldn't be putting billboards up like that and trying to tell people that the world's going to come to an end before Sunday, you know. So, now, is judgment coming? Yeah. But see, that that's where if you and I aren't careful and and we're deceived, we can end up buying into things that really aren't totally truth. And if it's not totally true, then it's very dangerous, very dangerous. And this is exactly what the Antichrist will do. This is why he will come to power. This is how people in the world come to power. This is why the church needs to be alert and vigilant because the methods of our spiritual enemies are deceit, Treachery, smooth and slippery words. Fifth imperative. Look over in a uh, beginning in verse, uh, I guess verse 29. It says, at the appointed time, he will again invade the south. That's the country of Egypt. This later visit will not turn out the way the former one did. The ships of Kittim. See, what happened at this time in history was the Romans got involved. The Romans got involved between this feud between Syria and Egypt and tipped the balance of power uh, so that Egypt would not once again be totally overthrown by Syria. In fact, it's very interesting. Chapter 11 of Daniel, the first 35 verses at least, pretty much are talking about Egypt and Syria. Why spend so much time on those two countries? Well, if you know your geography... Again, Syria sits north of Israel. Egypt sits south of Israel. And every time those countries down through history had power struggles with each other, guess whose land was right smack dab in the middle of it and got caught up in it? Israel did. Israel did. And, and so 
why Daniel, obviously, remember, he wanted to know, God, what's going to happen to our people in the future? And God was giving Daniel and all the Jews and us Gentiles who cared the insight to know that one of the things we were always going to have to keep our eye on was the country surrounding Israel, because Israel obviously was going to be caught up in even the feuds between all these other countries, even though they were also taking out their animosity on Israel as well. So, anyway, I digressed a little bit. Uh, He will come against them, leaving him disheartened. He will turn back and direct his indignation against the Holy Covenant. He will return and honor those, and here's the key phrase, who forsake the Holy Covenant. Get get, Get what he did in history. He honored Jews who turned their back on God and on God's word. He, he, he got them to take the bait. And then on down in verse 32, with smooth words, he will defile those who have rejected the covenant. You see, at this time in history, there were many Jews that caved. And so the principle is here, we must resist the defection of others influencing our defection. We must resist the defection of others influencing our defection. This happened in Israel, in history, and it's happening in the church today, even. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, that, that in the last days, many will turn away from the truth. They will turn to teachers who tickle their ears, who tell them what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. And they will turn away from the truth and they will turn to fables and myths. Second Timothy chapter four, the first two verses. So we know this is what the Bible predicts. People are not going to endure, Paul says, sound doctrine, sound teaching. They will always be wanting to hear something new rather than what the Bible has already said. Always that. And so the Bible predicts it. And so we've got people even within the church, meaning the general church, that's always defecting, forgetting about the importance of the Bible. Bible being minimized, truth being minimized, doctrine being minimized. Again, we live in that Christian culture where can't we just all just get along and love each other? Isn't that what the church is about? Let's forget doctrine. Let's forget what divides us. Let's forget about truth. That's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, the Bible says without truth, we have nothing. And Jesus says, those who worship me must worship me in spirit and in what? Truth. John said in 2 John, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children, his spiritual children, walk in truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so even though people are going to defect from the truth, even professing Christians, maybe even some real Christians, We cannot allow the defection of Christians around us or professing Christians who are defecting from the truth and turning their back on the word and not making it a pride. We cannot allow that to influence us. We've got to remain faithful even when other people are becoming unfaithful. And that's hard to do. Because naturally, as human beings, we're followers. We might think, you know, well, I'm not a follower. We're all followers. And, and, and it, it gets very easy when we see other people just defecting 
and going that way to say, well, everybody else is going that way. What's the big deal? And how it influences us. So we must resist that. Also, we must resist the erosion of godliness and morality all around us. We must resist the erosion of godliness and morality all around us. Notice in verse 32, that even though the Bible says with smooth words, he will defile those who've rejected the covenant, but the people who are loyal to their God will act valiantly. There was a remnant of people at this time. In history, they're called the Maccabees. And and they said, no, we are not going to reject our covenant. We're not going to reject our spiritual heritage. We're going to stand up for our God, for our relationship with God, for His Word, for the covenant and all of that, for His temple and all that. We're going to stand up. Even in the midst of all this apostasy of all these even Jews who through deceit and flattery and smooth words were rejecting and falling away from the faith, there was a remnant of people who said, no, we're resisting this. We're going to continue to be godly and moral and we're going to continue to walk with God even if all these other people fall away. And folks... That is the climate that we are living in as well as Christians in this day and age. I mean, to really be committed to Christ today, even as a Christian, you're a little odd. Because there are many Christians, as we talked about Sunday from Revelation, that are in that lukewarm category. If they were honest... If they were honest, they're really not on fire for the Lord and their commitment to Christ. It's all about, eh, I, I give God a bone every once in a while and I serve God when it's convenient and I go to church whenever I can fit it in. And, but the priority of our spiritual life is not really that important. And this is what we're fighting against. And this is why we need to continue to resist and act valiantly as well. Which leads me to number seven. That means we must courageously take action as God leads us. That's what these people did. They didn't just passively sit by and sit back and let it happen. The Bible says the people who were loyal to their God acted valiantly. Sometimes God calls us to stand up, step up, and do what's right, even if it's not popular or politically correct or what everybody else is doing. And that's the kind of mentality that these folks had, the Maccabees, back here in history. Again, I thought it was important to add, as God leads... Because we have to be careful about the actions that we take. And yes, our faith needs to be active, but we also need to be wise about what actions we take. And make sure that the actions that we're taking aren't doing more harm to the cause of Christ than good. As Paul says to the Romans, sometimes our good can be spoken of as evil. And God says, Paul says, be careful of that. Even sometimes when we're right and we know we're right, the way we're standing up for how we're, what we're right is wrong, if you know what I mean. 
I'll explain that some other time. That didn't even make sense to me. Number eight, I got to keep moving. We must continually develop our spiritual insight. We must continually develop our spiritual insight. Very next verse, verse 33. These who are wise among the people will teach the masses. That word wise there in the Hebrew talks about the insight that God wants his people to have through the word and through the revelation that God has given. It goes back to that, again, that discernment, that insight, being able to see things that others maybe can't see, not because we're smarter, but because of the insight, the discernment that the Holy Spirit and the Word of God is giving us in these life situations that we find ourselves. That's what biblical wisdom is. Biblical wisdom is not a higher IQ. It's not not being smarter, the smartest person in the room. Biblical wisdom is being able to match what God has said in His Word and how to live and manage each and every life situation and to match that with that particular situation and to have the insight not only into what to do, but to how to do it and when to do it. That's all wisdom, and that comes from God. And we need that kind of wisdom and insight and discernment today. But notice what it goes on to say in that very same verse. That we must warn and teach others about the reality of what is happening around us. That's exactly what verse 33 means. When those who are wise among the people will teach the masses, the phrase teach the masses means to warn and and remind and teach others about the reality of what is happening. Now, in this specific context, it was what was really happening in Israel. These people rose up and said, whoa, are we just going to let an Antiochus Epiphanes come in here and take over and, and suck our spiritual life completely out of us? Do we not see what's really going on here? You who are buying into his smooth, flattering, slippery words. Don't you realize what's really going on here? And as Christians today, same principle. I think God calls all of us to have that kind of insight and discernment. To be able to warn and teach even other Christians and other people in the world. Hey, do we realize what's really happening here? Do we see in our world, in our country, what's really going on? Or are we still asleep and we don't realize what's really going on? See, that's what they were doing. And that's what we need to do as well. But we also, number 10, must be prepared to suffer for our faith. We must be prepared to suffer for our faith, which is why we need strength. Because notice what happened to these people. However, they will fall by the sword. They will fall by the flame. They will be imprisoned and plundered for some time. And when they stumble, they will be granted some help, but many will unite with them deceitfully. And even some of the wise will stumble. And they paid a dear price for standing up for what was right. And I believe that the longer history goes, even in America, as Christians, as churches that stand upon the Word of God, we are going to start paying a higher price 
And we have to have a mindset that we're going to be willing to suffer for our faith. We've had it pretty easy compared to people in other countries for a long time. Because there are Christians in other countries around this world who've given up their life and, and everything that they had on this earth for the cause of Christ for a long time now. If you ever want to read a book that's both convicting, challenging, and, and encouraging all at the same time, if you've never read Fox's Book of Martyrs, oh my goodness. It is the history of, of basically the martyrs down through church history. And it's just an amazing book. And, and I can't read too much of it at, at one time. It's just it's overwhelming to see the strength that Christians have had down through history to say, hey, if, you know, you're going to burn me at the stake? Burn me. I'm, I'm not going to renounce Christ. You know, I, I mean, the strength that these people have had. And, and again, I, I think that that day is coming. I, I know that that day is coming for pastors. There's already signs that, that pastors who say things from the pulpit that aren't politically correct are going to start paying a high price for it, even in this country. So, we need to be willing to suffer for our faith. Eleven, we must remember, though, God's design in allowing the righteous to suffer. We must always remember God's design in allowing the righteous to suffer. And we see that in verse 35 as well. Even some of the wise will stumble, resulting in their refinement, purification, and cleansing until the time of the end, for it is still for the appointed time. Don't miss the power of those three words. Refinement, purification, cleansing. When God allows the righteous to suffer, and has allowed the righteous and godly to suffer down through history, it is always for a higher purpose. And, and that higher purpose is either their own refinement, purification, or cleansing, or for others and their refinement, purification, and cleansing. And that, that's exactly what happened in Israel at this point. That the ones who were really serious about God became even more refined. All, whatever little even impurities were there, they were burned off in the heat of refinement. Remember, the Bible clearly teaches that one of the principles throughout Scripture is that God is a refiner's fire. And He will put us in that fire every once in a while. Again, not because He, he hates us, not because he, because he loves us enough to burn off the impurities in our life and to make us pure before Him. When we suffer, many times, again, the complacency and the ease and all of that is burned off. And all of a sudden, we become very centered and very serious about our faith and about God. And we cry out to Him and we get more faithful and we get into His Word. And we should thank God for it. It's not easy to go through those times, but God loves us enough. Again, He respects our relationship with Him enough not to leave us out there hanging 
Because God knows that, that if we stay there, we're not going to be strong enough to face what He knows is coming. And God loves us enough every once in a while to take us through refinement, purification, and cleansing so that we will be spiritually strong enough to be really strong and be able to stand up to the challenges that that we face in the days in which we live. Finally, the twelfth and last. Beginning in verse 36, remember a couple weeks ago I talked to you about time gaps in prophecy? Here's a time gap between verse 35 and 36. In verses 2 through 35, I think Daniel was given a a great detailed prophecy again concerning Syria and Egypt. And oh, by the way, let me point this out. Isn't this very interesting? And I know I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but I want to show you some of the some of the lands that are mentioned here, even in the time of the Antichrist. Notice in verse 41 of Daniel 11. The Antichrist will enter the beautiful land. That's the land of Palestine. That's the holy land. Many will fall, but these will escape. Edom, Moab, and the Ammonite leadership. He will extend his power against other lands. The land of Egypt will not escape. See, all that's going on in Egypt right now is actually going to make them stronger than they have been for many years now. They're actually going to be a major player in the end time. Notice verse 43. He will have control over the hidden stores of gold and silver, as well as all the treasures of Egypt, Libya, and Ethiopia will submit to him. Gee, we're hearing about all these countries who are going through these unbelievable changes in in government and all that. And again, it's all part of God's plan. But the point I wanted to make is this. Beginning in verse 36 is a detailed description, I believe, of the Antichrist who is yet to come. And I just want to read this. I didn't want to take a lot of time because, to be very honest with you, I don't want to focus on the Antichrist. I want to focus on Christ. Because at the end of the day, the Antichrist will be on this earth in power for about seven years. And that's it. But I do want to read this in closing tonight. No, I'm not. I'm out of time. You can read it for yourself. But go over to verse 45 then at the end. Here's the last principle. The Antichrist will pitch his royal tents between the seas, the Dead Sea and the Mediterranean Sea, toward the beautiful holy mountain. But the bottom line is, after all that he's said and done, he will come to his end with no one to help him. Principle number 12 that we have to always remember that's imperative All of Christ's opponents and enemies will be defeated and the righteous will be vindicated one day. Don't forget that, my friends. All the opponents and enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ will come to an end and be defeated. And the righteous will be vindicated. And righteousness will be vindicated as well. Those are the 12 imperative principles that I found in studying Daniel 11. But I want to end with a psalm tonight. We talked about God as our strength and protection when we started out. I want to end by sharing this, one of my favorite psalms. Go, go to Psalm 46 with me. I think this is a great psalm, especially for the times in which we live where there's such turbulent times and things change so rapidly. And the psalmist reminds us in Psalm 46 of these reliable truths. 
God is our strong refuge. He is truly our helper in times of trouble. For this reason, we do not fear even when the earth shakes and the mountains tumble into the depths of the sea. When its waves crash and foam and the mountains shake before the surging sea. Selah, which means stop and think about that for a moment. The river's channels bring joy to the city of God. The special holy dwelling place of the sovereign one. God lives within it. He cannot and it cannot be moved. God rescues it at the break of dawn. Nations are in an uproar. Kingdoms are overthrown. God gives a shout. The earth dissolves. The Lord who commands armies is on our side. The God of Jacob is our protector. Selah. Stop and think about that. Come. Witness the exploits of the Lord, who brings devastation to the earth. He brings an end to wars throughout the earth. He shatters the bow and breaks the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says to his people, stop your striving and recognize that I am God. I will be exalted over the nations. I will be exalted over the earth. The Lord who commands armies is on our side. The God of Jacob is our protector. Stop and think about that. Let's pray. God, help us to firmly, firmly root ourselves and plant ourselves in you. We are living in days that are so full of of change so full of turbulence and tumult. And yet, Lord, you call us to be an absolutely stable and secure and calm and composed people in the midst of all this. And we realize tonight, once again, Lord, that the only way we can do that is by centering our lives in you. And in your very accurate and reliable word. So Lord, help us. Help us remember that you are our strength and our protector. And remind us of these principles from Daniel 11 tonight. These imperative things that we must do in the times in which we live. If we're going to be like those people who resisted the ungodly advance, the lack of morality, the forsaking of the Holy Covenant. And even in that time of darkness, they, they shone as great lights for you. And they stood up and they acted valiantly, courageously, even though it cost them. And God, I pray tonight, That at the Oasis Church, we would be getting stronger. So that whatever challenges we are going to face in the days in which we live, that we as a church and we as a people not only can can encourage one another during these times, but we can rise to the occasion. 
we can rise to the challenge and be the people of faith and faithfulness that you have called us to be and you desire us to be. And we do this, Lord, not for our own glory. We do this to bring honor and glory to you. In whose precious name we pray. Amen. Folks, thanks for being here tonight. See you on Sunday. We celebrate communion this Sunday at the Oasis.